This is show 387, and we're listening to Zig talk to us about personal standards, having personal standards, and making them high standards. This is not an awareness most people are ever given. The great news is we can clarify and state them now and start shaping ourselves around and benefiting from them now. what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we continue the legacy of Zig Ziggler, the world's foremost authority on the fuel for everything we pursue, motivation, inspiration, and a confident self-image. We apply that fuel to leadership, personal growth, sales, faith, family, and success. Our foundational purpose is to inspire true performance, and this is the goal of every show. I'm Kevin Miller, show host and devoted evangelist of inspiration. Tom Ziegler, Zig's son and the CEO of Ziegler, and I come to you every week to discuss Zig's teachings and bring you the absolute best of today's most inspirational leaders. We get down to the roots of what will absolutely expand human potential, your potential, to it. Okay, folks, we have a new type of show we're putting in the queue for you. We get a lot of questions coming into Ziggler, questions on applying the principles of success to your personal life. So many of you email us, you post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and more. Now we're going to give you a platform and a new Q&A show. We'll see how we and you like it. And if it proves valuable, we'll keep it in rotation uh, Zig clips, interviews, and then these Q&A shows. But one of the places that Tom Ziegler and I both really enjoy and, and seem to flourish, according to the feedback, is in such things, even if it's on a stage in front of a lot of people, but just taking those live questions and talking and having a real conversation together. We know it's it's one thing to hear a great message, but another to take action on it. We're all unique, complex, and we live in differing circumstances. So ask a question and Tom Ziegler and I will discuss it. Once in a while, we'll bring in a special guest to field questions as well. As you read Zig's materials, you listen to the show, or hey, you're welcome to come to us with any questions relating to inspiring your true performance and personal development and business development and progressing towards better things in your life and work. Okay. So you can bring them now to us at ask.zigshow.com. Just type that in. Ask dot zigshow.com. When you go there, you can type in your question or you can hit a little button and you can record it. And if uh, the recording is clear and we can hear it well and, and concise, uh, the more concise, the better, not too long winded. Uh, we will actually use the recording in the show and then respond to it from there. So we'd be incredibly honored to have your true, real questions. Ask.zigshow.com.
Hey, you ever see, I mentioned this in, a, in an earlier show, ever see the matrix where the main character Neo is able to learn and gain mastery of anything from martial arts to flying a helicopter in mere moments. Any of the characters, you just put that little wand in the back of their head, put a CD in of what you want them to learn and boom, there they go. Well, how would you like something as close as possible that indoctrinated you in the core Ziegler principles of success, enabling you to embrace them personally and teach others giving you certification, literal certification and licensing then as a Ziegler leader with the Ziegler brand behind you. Uh, and best of all, in my opinion, and the testimony of all the participants, you become a part of the literal Ziegler family and legacy. Uh, you'll never go it alone again, which is a huge deal for the participants in this. So I'm talking about the Ziegler legacy certification course. The last time I talked about this, some of you went and enrolled immediately uh, they told me as of this morning, there are still spots in the July 11th through 15th, 2016 ZLC Ziegler legacy certification course. You spend five days, full on days in Plano, Texas at the Ziegler headquarters. Plano's just outside of Dallas. That's where you fly into. You can get info and I challenge you to apply. Not everyone gets in to begin with. Um, so, I mean, you literally do a background check and more, but uh, go apply. Each course is limited to 25 people. Uh, apply there. You'll be contacted and you can see if it is for you. If the timing is now for you, go to ZigglerCertified.com. ZigglerCertified.com. Tell them I, Kevin, sent you and you may get a call back from Tom Ziggler himself. Well, folks, today in this show, 387, we are hearing from Zig. He comes to us from a seminar series where he's been talking on relational health, but then he asks how do you apply all this relational health focus to the marketplace, to our jobs and businesses? So uh, this is this is the premise of the talk you're just about to hear. It's 11 minutes of classic Zig on stage. Here we go. Now, how does all of this work in the marketplace? Let me give you a, an example of what I'm talking about. My dad died when I was five years old. There were six of us too young to work. We survived because we had a wonderfully wise, hardworking, loving mother with great faith. All of us started helping around the house very early in our careers, in our childhood. I remember my first solo assignment in the garden. I had to hold two rows of beans, and the rows were three and a half miles long. <laughs> Would you believe three? But when you're eight years old, they look like they were three and a half miles long. My mother showed me what she wanted me to do and how she wanted me to do it. And then she said, son, now, when you finish, call me and I'll come look it over. Well, I finally got through and I said, mama, I'm through. Well, my mother was a little bitty lady. She always wore a cloth sunbonnet over her head to protect her face from that hot Mississippi sun. When she was not happy with what we had done, you could always tell she would always fold her hands behind her back. She would always duck her head. She'd always cock its light to the right, and she'd give her that little left to right motion, you know. Well, when she started that, I said, what's the matter, Mama? And my Mama said, son, it looks like you're going to have to lick this calf over. Now, is there anybody here so underprivileged that you do not clearly understand that perfectly plain old Mississippi colloquialism, lick that calf over. Anybody doesn't understand that? Well, don't be embarrassed about being ignorant. There's just a lot of folks, a lot of folks haven't had the same benefits in life I have. Well, let me tell you, I knew exactly what it meant. 
What it meant was, son, you got to do this job over. But I was trying to buy time. So I said, Mama, hadn't been messing with that calf. I've been hoeing these beans. <laughs> she kind of laughed and said, well, son, what I, what I mean is this. For most people, what you've done would be perfectly all right. But you're not most people. You're my son. And my son can do better than this. Now let's look at the leadership and management principles that are involved in this. The relationship that is there. Let's look first of all, she was a wise lady. Limited education, fifth grade. But wisdom really is a gift from God. And as an aside, you will never see or hear an arrogant, wise person. That's not going to happen. Now, you'll see an arrogant, knowledgeable person, but not a wise one. My mother had wisdom. Now, the second principle I want to point out is that we knew that she was going to instruct us on how to do what she wanted us to do. And this is a good leadership management principle, isn't it? We need to teach our people exactly how to do what we want them to do. In this high-tech world with computers changing every other day, uh, even though a person might be an expert on it, each one has its little idiosyncrasies, and and we need to give them a chance. My mother had told me exactly how to hoe those beans. That's the second thing we knew about it. Third thing we knew was that she was going to inspect to make certain she got what she expected. Uh, It's terribly discouraging to a child or to an employee to give them an assignment and never say good job or thank you for that. Now, obviously, if they show up at eight and leave on five and that's their job and nothing is unusual about it, you're just courteous and pleasant with them. But when they stay later, when they go above and beyond, a simple thank you is so important. The next principle is our mother had set certain standards. You see, she uh, had clearly taught us. She expected us to do our best, not be the best. See, that's an impossible standard because everybody can't be the best at everything. Now, I'm certain my mother had never heard this phrase, but uh, she also was demonstrating something. She understood, you see, that failure is an event. It's not a person. I I wasn't a bad boy. I just did a lousy job. That's what she was saying to me. But son, you're a good boy. As a matter of fact, you're so good, I cannot accept substandard work from you. It's unfair to the child, to the employee, or to anyone else. You build low ceilings on them when you do it that way. She had criticized their performance, you see. It needed criticized. To, to let some shoddy work get through is absolutely unfair to everyone, including our customers. Is this not so? She had praised the performer. He needed the praise. His self-image was fine after that. Now, I don't remember jumping up and down and saying, oh boy, I gotta, I'm going to get a chance to do this one again. I don't remember that. But in retrospect, as I look back on my life, I realize that the finest thing that had happened to me, and I don't know when, was exactly what happened that day. Will this work in the athletic world, for example? Yes, it will. It will work in the business world. It will work in any world of which you are a part. The approach of being considerate of the other person, and that doesn't mean soft with the other person, but it does mean that you are doing the right thing for that person. 
It breeds loyalty in an individual. A little bit earlier, you heard Brian Flanagan. Let me tell you something about Brian. Several years ago, uh, Brian uh, came to my house. He didn't want to talk to me at the office. He knew I was there. He walked in and announced his resignation. He said, Zig, I have been given a unique opportunity, and I've got to take advantage of it. I'll be part owner. I'll keep doing the same thing I'm doing. I won't have to travel as much. It's a unique opportunity. And I said, well, Brian, man alive, I've got to tell you, I sure hate to see you go. You're very valuable to us. You have great talent and ability, and I have great respect for you, and we're going to miss you. And, and Brian, uh, and I don't do this uh, almost never, but I said to Brian, if this turns out to be more glitter than gold, I want you to know that the door is open for you to come back. Now, let's think a minute. Why did he get that opportunity was it because he was going around telling everybody about that lousy fellow Zig Ziglar was and what a crummy company he worked for? I mean, you just, those people, they're horrible. Can you imagine somebody saying, hey, listen to this guy. He's the kind of fellow we want to hire. Maybe he'll go around and say the same things about us. <laughs> you know why they offered him the job? Because of his loyalty to us and just good common sense. He said, it's a wonderful place to work. They're great people down there. And those folks thought, man alive, this is the kind of guy we need working for us. You build relationships by being loyal to the individual's concern and doing the things that will make a difference. Now, as we look at how this works in the marketplace, let me uh, tell you what we've been doing some surveys on. In these surveys, we've been asking people, what is it? that you want in a training program. We asked the question of over 600 companies. And the question really boiled down to something like this. Why don't you do more training? On almost everyone, they always sent back the same three. They sent a lot of reasons, but all, three of them were always there. Cost too much, takes too long, too complicated. How many of you have ever told a salesman trying to sell you a training program, something along those lines. Cost too much, take too long, too complicated. So we created a specific program to answer all three of those things. We call it Ziggits. Now, Ziggits encompasses uh, a number of things. For example, we do about five or six minutes on video, cover three major points. Now, the training session that follows takes about 20, 25 more minutes. So that takes care of the time factor. We teach them three or four very specific things which they can then use that day on the job. Cost too much? Well, eight training sessions cost roughly $150. And so that brings the cost down way, way down. Uh, complicated? Three things which they use immediately. In other words, we ask the customer, what do you want? Now, in business, why can't we ask our internal customers what they want? In other words, I'm the employer and uh, what we're facing today is a labor shortage. Everywhere I go, employment want, employment opportunity, employment opportunity, uh, come in here. You see it in papers, you hear it on radio, on television all the time. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the labor market is very, very tight. USA Today did some studies on this, and here's what they found. They found 
the same things that we've been talking about, what everybody wants. But they also found uh, that when they asked the employer, what do you think your employees want? And the three things they said, according to USA Today, number one, employer said the employee wants more money. That's the first thing they want. Second, they want job security. And third, they want opportunity for advancement. Then they went to the employees and said, what's most important to you in this world today? Number one was they wanted some interesting work. Number two, they wanted appreciation for the work they had already done. And number three, they wanted a feeling of being in on things. Don't make me learn everything from the grapevine. That's what they were saying. Now, where did they rate money? That is number nine. Where did they rate job security? That was number 12. Opportunity for advancement? Uh, that was number 13. Now, let me ask you a question. If that's what the employers thought they wanted, and they gave them a raise, and then they didn't get very excited about it, Maybe that helps understand it. Of course, I've never seen anybody turn one down. But why not let's look at what makes the most difference to that individual, and that namely is what they themselves really want. And you might say, okay, now what does, the, uh, what does the boss get out of that? Well, they found out what the boss wanted. Anybody know what the boss wants? Loyal, productive employees and a growing, thriving, profitable business. All right, well, Zig cites the story of hoeing beans uh, for his mom, and she's not satisfied. And I love what he says here. This, this is a big statement. What she says here, for most people, what you've done would be perfectly all right, but you're not most people. You're my son, and my son can do better than that. Folks, that's huge. Uh, and, and to a big degree, I have to admit gratefully that I grew up with this, this gift of higher expectations that made me want to rise to them. Now, some of you had this, I'm sure there are some folks listening who had this aspect of you can do better than that skewed in an abusive, negative fashion. Nothing you ever did was good enough. Uh, you may have gotten this from a parent or a teacher or someone who was literally, literally meant you harm, putting you down. They did not have your best interest in mind. And this is tragic, and I'm so, so sorry. You, you've got lots of work to get past that reality. Um, some of you were given the perspective of never good enough from well-meaning uh, parents and, and teachers and leaders who thought they were doing something good to you know, pull you up, make you stronger. But when your work's never good enough, it builds resentment or bad self-image and more. What Zig's showcasing here was from a loving parent who, if he'd done a great job, they would have said you did a great job. But they honestly recognized it was some shoddy work, as he said, and knew the long-term value of calling him to more and, and praising him, the ability of him, but not the job that he did. Uh, it might have been a good enough job to accomplish, you know, planting and growing beans, but she was going beyond the task at hand and looking further and looking into this boy. Uh, and she had an, she had a goal. She wanted to grow up. Well, heck a Zig Ziglar, you know? So, you know, again, for most people that listen to what she said, for most people, think about this, think about this being said to you. Okay. Or you saying this to you looking in the mirror, like the, like the self-talk cards for most people, what you've done would be perfectly all right, but you're not most people. You're my son and my son can do better than that. 
I mean, I've been working through some of these zig messages with my now 10 and 11 year old boys. So some of my middle kids, and this is one that I, we're going to listen to this and hit on it and talk about it. I mean, it calls to mind Seth Godin, one of our recent interviewees, his book linchpin that he wrote some years back about making yourself indispensable in your job. I mean, it's simple math. You do the job and just the job and you'll generally stay in the job. But if you go above and beyond, you'll get promoted. You'll find greater opportunity. You'll end up being the boss or the owner. I mean, I'm amazed at how short-sighted the masses so often are. They do enough to get by. And a lot of the workplaces, that's what they benefit you to do. And they don't really even give you a motive to go above and beyond. But then when you work that way, you never do get that promotion. You get passed over by somebody else you don't understand. Or they let you go when the budget gets tight or someone better comes along. Though, you know, again, this isn't uh, something to be imprisoned by either. It doesn't mean excellence and perfection in every single thing you do. I mean, there are plenty of tasks that I do just enough to get by because I've got something more important to invest my excellence in. You know, you, you, you never want me to plow your driveway. I'm a very shoddy snowplower. Uh, but you get the point when it comes to a job for a client or a presentation to an audience or any service to another, it is time for excellence and rising up. But to Zig's mom's statement, two main points. First is, you know, what are your personal standards? What are our personal standards? Is it just mediocrity or, or nothing? Or is it striving for excellence. I mean, what do you call yourself to? I've had this talk plenty of times with my kids and countless times with myself. I mean, most people stand for nothing, uh, you know, nothing that you would be aware of, nothing that you can perceptively see, but great people. We all know that they have personal standards they adhere to and call themselves to heck. We see this in movies, the good guys and the bad guys, the best of the best on either side, but they generally have staunch standards and they're made clear And at some point in the movie. So often they'll have the opportunity to state them because it's valiant. We love it. I mean, so folks, this is a worthy exercise to stop and do worth stopping this recording and giving even just five minutes to think, do you have any personal standards that are clarified in your own mind? And of course, as Zig has taught us, you need to write them down. Writing them down has power. Uh, but personal standards, do you, what do you have that guide and lead you and provide uh, bumpers and a pathway for your life, for what you will and won't do, what you will and won't accept? Uh, I mean, if people who knew you, I, I always play this game in my head, if people who knew me were polled, Asked, would they be able to state and be aware of any perceivable personal standards that I live by? Or do I just serve myself? Or do I just, my kind of just vanilla? I don't really stand out at all. Not good, not bad, just nothing, just meh. Uh, I think that, and, and you can think about that. Think about people in your life, the people you work with, work for, work around, uh, people you go to church with, people that you, uh, that, that you're with in any way, shape or form. I mean, do you, can you think of some where you know they have standards and I bet you'll think of some where, you know, they, they don't have any or, or maybe they do, but they're horrific standards, but, uh, yourself. So think about yourself. And you may very well come up with some, which is awesome. But whether you do or don't, I bet you can write more down, some or more down. Uh, it's not something that we, again, what format have we ever been given the charge to state what are our personal standards? 
Well, so number two, she called him to something greater. She believed in him. She, she lifted him in that interaction. And I thought, you know, what a gift. First off, whether we got that or not, we can't change much. Now we can definitely give it though, to, to call somebody to a higher standard again, out of love and out of belief in them, about how wonderfully made they are, what, what beauty and gold they have inside of them. Again, it made me think of course of my kids. Uh, and sometimes I had, I, mean, I was thinking about this thing and gosh, I need to call them up to more for the sake, for the, for the principle of it. Even if the, the issue at hand, I don't really care about that much. And of course I thought about having my kids clean their rooms, which I love my kids. They, they play together so well. I've got four uh, younger kids and they, uh, they play and they play Legos and they play with, uh, you know, balls and stuffed animals and all kinds of things. Of course they end up strewn all around and I just can't walk and I want it out of my way. I've been parenting a long time. Get that stuff out of my way. Go clean your room, tidy that room. And so we do that pretty much every Saturday. Um, and I, but as I'm thinking about this, I thought, you know, I just, I kind of want it just clean. I don't care if it's perfect. I'm not one of those parents, neither is my wife. And yet I thought about, but I'm, I'm not giving them the opportunity to understand what an excellent job is. And I do let them do shoddy work. And if there's some toys around the edges or some stuff under the bed, I don't care. And oh, man, that's not the best training. So I'm going to start doing that. Literally based on this, I'm going to start having sometimes doesn't mean it'll be every time. There's going to be plenty of times where I say, Hey, just, you know, just, just get it tidy so we can walk through there. But some other times where I'm going to make that and other things, uh, put a premium on doing an excellent job and I'm giving them an incentive. You do an excellent job. And this is what, uh, your reward will be. I'm actually going to have them watch a video coming up. It's just been something I've been thinking about. We're not a big, you know, manners type family. We are big on respect, but not on, you know, manners and etiquette. Yet I was taught that as a kid, we didn't do it all the time, but I was taught it. So I at least understood it. I want them to know, cause there's going to come a time when they need to know just basic good manners and etiquette sitting at the table. Uh, and I have not taken the time to do that. So I'm going to have them watch a video that talks about it. We'll do a dinner table type thing and then let them dress up and we're going to have a fancy meal and we're going to practice it and have an incentive, make it fun again. Um, but to, again, it's the training of a skill and even more so an awareness and, and a charge that you have greatness inside of you. Uh, you get the idea. So standards though, he says standards. It's to do our best, not be the best, but to do our best. I mean, that's a personal conviction and a value. You know, one thing it brought me to was a personal story. It was an anchoring point back in my pro cycling days. I turned pro in 1992 or 91, 91 or 92 at the age of, I think I was 21 or so. And, uh, and then I raced at the pro and elite level for over a decade uh, even through my first three kids, but somewhere along the line, I, and I wish I knew who to credit. Someone said that every time you quit a race, it's easier to quit again. It's a bad habit. It's bad training. Don't quit. And in cycling, uh, you know, the, the tour de France type races, I mean, DNFs are, are common. I mean, 150 people may start and only 50 may finish. That's very common in the big elite races. I had a period while racing in Holland for a Dutch team where I DNF a lot of races uh, in those races, you have a rolling caravan. So there's cars at the front, cars at the back. If you get dropped, shelled out the back, you're done. I mean, you, the caravan goes on and now all of a sudden you're just drive. you know, you're riding in traffic. And I went through a bad spell. I was having a hard time adjusting over there. The races were hard. I didn't really have my wits about me. And I got into a habit of, of DNFing, do not, did not finish uh, races. 
but what grew, so that statement though, that hit me and what grew in me from that statement went past racing and into my training and now into my life overall. But I remember back in my training, I would have that, that thought in my mind and on, you know, if it was hill interval, interval day, when the training plan was 10 hill repeats, I grew to fear quitting even there training all alone, afraid it would train me to allow myself to quit. So I would practice the grit of not quitting no matter what, uh, just for that, that the training of continuing and today it's still as relevant in pushing through those hard jobs, hard times, uh, but to do a good job, complete a job though. It harkens again. I, and this is just one for me because I know people so often we want black and white. We want step-by-step, step, but we can sometimes be imprisoned. We still have to have our own discernment and it harkens to uh, a statement by Oscar Wilde. I'm sure we've all heard it. Everything in moderation, including moderation. And, uh, you know, on days when I, in cycling, when I felt, when I truly felt bad then, and even today, and as I, as I run and work out today, I don't have to be a prisoner and violate my head, heart, and body on a bad day, but you get the point, positive habits, high standards and holding ourselves to those. Well, next Zig talked about his mom being a, a wise person as he's relating this. I mean, what a wise woman, how amazing. And I love this statement from him in defining wisdom. You'll never see an arrogant, wise person. Wow. I mean, that statement knocks a lot of people who deem them, knocks out a lot of people who deem themselves wise. I'm sure you know some, uh, hopefully it's not you. Uh, you know, we, we all want to be seen as wise, but I think this gives us permission to, to walk in our wisdom that we truly have, but to do it in humility. You know, I see this, it's interesting. I see this with a lot of coaches and consultants and, you know, any leader and expert and author and speaker and presenter, anybody who's got a stage where they know something, they have something that they are really wise in that they have a, a lot of knowledge uh, or, or a lot of ability even in one thing, but then they take that to think that they have to be the end all and the, the all wise in every area. And I've definitely, this, it's a, it's a bad, um, it can be a bad trend amongst literal coaches and consultants who have an area of expertise that they are leading other people in. And it bleeds over into thinking they have to be the end all and wise person in every part of their uh, life in every part of life. And uh, it's, it's being pedantic. It's a word that I, a friend of mine, we joke about because he's a doctor and that's, that's the, you know, so often that's doctors, you know, they're, they get so pedantic. They have wisdom on everything and tell you how to do everything. And, and in these days, I think it hurts your credibility. Because people don't believe it. You act like you're all wise in every area. Uh, it's hard to believe that you're wise in any area. It's the people who, uh, we see that a lot more, even on stage today, where people have a certain area. They're brilliant. They're wise. And they're quick, though, to be humble and say, okay, here's all the myriad of, of areas I'm not. But man, this area I, I know well. But that's, again, you'll, you'll, you'll see, he says, you'll see an arrogant knowledgeable person, but not a wise person. I appreciate this. It separates mere knowledge from wisdom. I mean, you can go through formal education, ace every test, get every degree known to man and not be wise. I recently saw the movie you may have too called concussion. Uh, it stars Will Smith. It's a story of Dr. Bennett Amalu who discovered the consequences of head trauma in football players and other sports, but just uh, of, of head trauma in general, but especially amongst football players and some athletes where it's consistent. Oh, so often over years. And I had the opportunity uh, just about a week ago to hear Dr. Amalu speak 
Uh, it was at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. I was along with my wife and her brain research buddies. They took me along. And Dr. Amalu jokes at his own expense, just as they depict in the movie about his long string of degrees from medical doctor to MBA. I think he has something like seven or more uh, degrees, literal degrees, high degrees, <clears throat> a PhD, yada, yada, plus a good many other certifications. And he also admits he led a very lonely life and battled depression and alcoholism at the hands of his devotion to work and education and not winning relationships, as we're learning about here from Zig. But now, however, later in his life, he's married with one or two kids. But what made Dr. Amalu the feature of the movie was not his knowledge. It was his wisdom and seeing a need and an opportunity and taking a massive risk to pursue something that he thought was the right thing to do. And it was needed, even though it initially caused him great, um, uh, uh, gosh, trial from other people and still does some to this day, but it's a great movie to see on this perspective. And for this reason, so I recognize him as a wise man. Well, next and, and I think this is where we'll end today. Zig cites a frequent quote. Failure is an event, not a person. I wasn't a bad boy. I'd just done a lousy job. Harkening back to the story that we began with about his mother and his job hoeing beans. And I think this is an easy statement for us all to nod to. Failure is an event, not a person. Okay. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most of us don't really embrace that and think about that. Don't realize how much past failures impact and handicap us. I would venture to say, if you have a past failure, something you tried, it didn't work out. It was a failure to whatever degree it has impacted you. It has made its mark on you in some way. It's impossible to come away unscathed. I think it's really impossible to, to come away unscathed unless you do embrace the fact that it did influence you. It did scar you and you need to. Embrace that reality and just look at it and say, how, how, how many, I mean, I know a lot of people who at face value won't react or, or won't relate to that statement at all. They wouldn't think it applies to them. They don't, uh, they're, they're doing fine, you know, maybe even well, but they've settled. Uh, and I see this with people who have had some failures, but they don't really take them captive. And now they've settled. They've coasted into cruise control. You know, some failures and fears have really taken the zest and passion and adventure and purpose, I would say, from their lives. And they've given in to just basic comfort, security, safety. That's a indicative of our culture to a great degree. And we're not willing to take risks that much. Matter of fact, when we do, we are often not applauded for it, but we are disdained, criticized for jeopardizing the safety that we have safety. That's what's responsible in today's day and age. And yet we all want to sit back on our couches and watch people taking risks because it's ingrained in our hearts to go after it. And it is what is valiant. I would say it's a great exercise just to ponder the thought, to think of some failures, to think of your life and really ask yourself if you've been limited in any way by them. If you shy away from trying new things or risking much or putting your yourself on the line, pursuing desires that you have. And we find so many people these days dealing depression on the high end, but even more so just, I'm just numb or they, they start seeking purpose and they'll find somewhere that they're, that they find purpose. They find some life in. And to, to this story that Zig talked about, you know, he, again, talking to his mom's wisdom, said, praise the performer. She praised the performer. She praised him, but called him to a better performance. 
That's what I think Zig would call us all to do, to praise the, the performer, praise ourselves, our own abilities, God through us, but call ourselves to a better performance. Well, hey, I hope you got as much out of that as I do. Uh, I did do as I'm sitting here doing this as I do continually, but that's uh, that's a wrap for show 387 folks in show 388. We've got a great interview on successful systems and then show 389. I'm hoping we'll do our first Q and a show with myself, Tom Ziegler and your questions. Again, go to ask.zigshow.com. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I'll be with you in the next Ziggler show where we will be inspiring our true performance together. Mm-hmm.